This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. For more than a year, we have dealt with remote learning, working from home, restaurants trying to survive with carry-out orders, and other businesses forced to shut down. In fact, our entire way of life has been completely upended. This COVID-19 pandemic has been transformational in so many ways. Now, with more than 40% of Americans vaccinated, schools beginning to reopen across the country, and employers looking at what the second half of 2021 will look like, we're also beginning to see what may be the new normal, and that is likely to include a new job. The survey is from Prudential's Pulse of the American Worker, in partnership with the website Morning Consult. With more on the numbers and what they all mean, Kim Hart, she covers technology and business for Axios.com. And I have to begin with the headline, one in four planning to bolt their job post-pandemic. Let's walk through the numbers and explain what stands out. So as you said, one in four workers plan to leave their current employer and look for a new job once the threat of the pandemic eases. In fact, that's 26 percent. And when you're looking at millennials, which is the largest generation of workers in the workforce right now, that number is even higher at around 34 percent that plan to bolt from their jobs and look for a new one once they feel safe to do so. The obvious question, why? Why such a big number? Well, there are a few things going on. Uh, Some people feel disconnected from work. Other people uh, feel like they do not have enough uh, career advancement opportunities in their current job after a year of remote working. And a lot of people are starting to feel more confident about their prospects now that, as you mentioned, vaccines are rolling out more quickly across the country. Things are starting to open up. Schools look more likely to be open in the fall. Uh, The sun is shining. It's spring. People are starting to feel more optimistic and saying, I think I have other opportunities elsewhere. They're also not tied geographically to a local employer anymore in this new remote world where everyone is expecting to continue to work at least partly remotely going forward and for the foreseeable future, they can look for a job across the country, even if it means that they have to travel maybe one day a week or one week a month. That is a good trade-off for them, and they're trying to make those calculations right now. Well, let me follow up on that because you cover technology in businesses. Is this going to be a new norm as folks look for a job and say, well, at least I want to work part-time from home, that's one of the benefits? Absolutely. And that's another really interesting finding that this Prudential and Morning Consult survey found is that 87% of the people surveyed said that they want to work remotely at least one day a week. And a lot of people want to work even more than that. Only 13% said that they want to work full time on site the way they used to. So that's a huge sea change for employers who are used to having everyone in the office every day. People were commuting. People wanted to live close into their jobs. That's no longer... Uh, quite as important. Uh, People want the flexibility that they've gotten used to over the past year to be home, to have the flexibility to work different hours and not necessarily cram everything into nine to five. And that means that people don't necessarily need to be down the street from their offices and they can leave their big expensive cities that they live in now and maybe live further out or even in a small town in a a totally different state. This is all things that uh, these are all things that employers are trying to figure out how to manage when they come back and how to retain the employees that they want when they have all of these new options. Kim Hart, you use the word sea change. Have we seen a generation of change just in the last year? 
I think so. Uh, one thing that all the experts and economists have said about COVID-19 and the pandemic is that it has accelerated trends that were already in motion and already in progress. And that's what we're seeing with technology specifically. And that leads into the remote work um, situation that we're in. The adoption of technology and the digitization of corporate and business practices has tremendously sped up and accelerated to where we've seen five years of change in about one year of time, which is what the, the estimates that I've seen most recently. And that means that people who, are, who weren't necessarily used to doing everything online, doing all of their work remotely, uh, re- relying on video calls for all of their interaction with colleagues, relying on email for all their interactions, that has sped up. And now it seems completely normal to people after doing it for over a year. So people aren't really that excited about going back to the office the way, I don't know if you remember, I remember back in April of last year thinking, I just want to be in the office. I just want to go back to normal. I want to break from my kids. I want to break from my house. I want to see my colleagues. I want to have that social interaction, that element of my work I really missed. Now we're all so used to being in our houses and balancing the childcare and virtual school um, and kind of breaking up the day in different ways than we were used to, it's going to be hard to go back. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of employees saying, actually, I can make this work and I want to be able to continue to have this flexibility for at least half the week. Even if it's just one day, I don't want to be in the office. I don't want to be making that commute every single day again. Well, to that point, for our viewers and listeners who may watch or listen to C-SPAN, we can produce and host programming in our studios, but also doing it from our home, which is something that we never would have thought of a year ago. For you personally, what will life be like as you return to work, return to the office? Uh, interesting question, and I'm still figuring that out. Um, I have three kids at home, including an infant, so I uh, will probably do a hybrid kind of situation where I'll go into the office a couple of days a week, work from home a couple of days a week. Uh, those might change week to week, or we may need to, in order to accommodate the space we have in the office, have set days where half the the, the team comes in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the other half comes in on Tuesday, Thursday, and then the next week they switch. It's, it's hard. We're trying to figure that out right now at Axios. Um, but to your point, we do events virtually. Um, I interview people live for our events that we air on our website from my office, which is basically a corner of my bedroom. And I'll probably continue to do that for at least several months until we have our studio back up and running um, in in our office. And even after that, I think people have gotten very used to seeing uh, news reporters, you know, come on air uh, from their home offices. And so it's not as jarring, and I think it will continue to be that way. But I think particularly for for women like myself who are who are moms and uh, full-time, have full-time careers, the flexibility will need to remain in order to juggle everything, especially as even though, you know, vaccinations are becoming more widespread and more adopted, we're not out of the woods yet. There are fears about a fourth wave. And especially for caretakers, there is still the need to be cautious and uh, stay home with uh, children, perhaps, or elderly parents or other people that they're keeping an eye on during this strange and unprecedented time. And I'm curious, when did you first hear of Zoom? Because now, whether it's family reunions or office meetings, it's all via Zoom. 
or Microsoft. <laughs> That's true. It's become it's become a verb, right? The, the Zoom is officially a verb now. Um, I think I think I came across it. You know, as a as a tech reporter, I knew about it before the pandemic, uh, but I was not a regular user of it at, by any means. Um, we used you know Google Hangouts or Microsoft Teams or um, you know Cisco WebEx. Uh, Zoom kind of uh, burst onto the scene with with the pandemic and hasn't looked back. There, of course, were some issues with it in the beginning, some security problems, you know, the, the Zoom bombing, if you remember, there were some schools with virtual classes where uh, people were able to kind of hijack the class and, uh, and, and, and take over the, the screens, and that was not ideal for any school setting. So there, things have been locked down. The security has been increased, not only with Zoom, but with all the video conferencing tools that are out there because they became uh, just so widespread and, and so ubiquitous and necessary for both school and work. And I think we're, our reliance on those tools are not, will not go away just because offices open up a little bit more. I mentioned at uh, the beginning of our conversation that we are starting to see what will be the new normal. And I want to break that down in a couple of different areas, beginning with business travel. How different will that be moving ahead? That's a good question, and no one seems to really know the answer. I think you're already starting to see some business travel pick up. In fact, a few colleagues of mine, I just did a business trip earlier this week, uh, you know, a quick one, and people are being wary of airline uh, travel still and wary of hotels, but people are starting to feel more comfortable. I think what's interesting is you're not going to see, while business travel will pick up, I think people, there is pent-up demand to see colleagues that you haven't seen in offices across the country or in other countries for some people and seeing other members of their team that they work with regularly, there will be business travel, but I don't think it will be as frequent as it was. You're not going to see as many last-minute flight bookings to jet to London or jet to New York or or to San Francisco for a meeting because I think what the last year has demonstrated is that it's possible to do work and to be productive without necessarily being in person. So while there are added benefits to being in person, I think we can all agree that meetings are a bit better in person, and it's it's more fun to have a lunch in person and to actually have those connections on a more personal level that's just really hard to do on a video chat and on a screen, that there's still a level of impersonality to that, but there will not be as much money spent on that, at least in the beginning, um, and it'll probably take several years for it to really ramp up back up to see where we were to levels that we were at. And really, it, it's, it's unclear if it ever really will get back to those levels. What about personal travel, family travel, vacations? You're starting, of course, uh, there's even more pent-up demand for that, right? Uh, people want to see their families that they haven't seen, in some cases, in more than a year. They need to get out of town. They, they need a break. There's a lot of burnout happening, especially for working parents who've been juggling uh, everything all at once, need to get a break, need to get get away. However, there are still the same concerns. And the pricing is uh, unclear. Airlines have taken an enormous hit and have lost billions of dollars. Um, airline pilots have been laid off. It will take some time for the airlines operationally to be able to uh, to add the routes back in and to accommodate and the size of travelers that we used to have, number one. Number two, 
you know, the business travelers often offset the cost for leisure travelers. So when you have business travelers who are able to plop down, you know, several hundred dollars or even several thousand dollars if necessary for a first-class ticket at the last minute, that helps to offset some of the cost of leisure travel tickets. Uh, you know, those last-minute, you know, $99 want-to-get-away tickets that you get from some, some of these airlines, they may not be as readily available, especially as airlines try to recoup the, some of the enormous costs costs that they've had to absorb over the past year. So it's unclear how affordable it will be and and how frequent people are really willing to do it. You know, people are still having to deal with their own financial, personal financial issues um, and and cutbacks at home as well, um, thanks to the pandemic. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Let me remind our listeners, we are talking with Kim Hart. She is a national technology correspondent. She also covers business, her work available at Axios.com. And as you look at this survey, as we discuss the post-pandemic economy and the jobs, two numbers stand out. I want to get your reaction. You write the following, quote, of those planning to leave their current job, 80 percent are concerned about career growth. Nearly 75 percent say the pandemic made them rethink their skill sets. Drill down on those numbers. What does that tell you? Well, let's start with the second number. Uh, Another number in this uh, survey uh, suggests that career switching altogether will increase, not just employee switching. So one in five workers changed their line of work entirely over the past year, and half say that those changes are permanent. So that could be, uh, so the top reasons for these changes include work-life balance, looking for better compensation, or trying something new. And so I think the pandemic helped to uh, accelerate, again, like we said, uh, the pandemic is accelerating things that were already underway. People who were maybe thinking about making a geographic move, or maybe thinking of trying something new altogether. When the pandemic hit, it kind of forced them or made them think, I'm gonna, if, this, if there's a time to make a change, it's now. Or they lost their job, perhaps, in one of in the field that they were in and needed to go into another one. Now to get back to the, the first stat that you mentioned, about 80% of workers uh, not seeing the career growth that they had wanted to see, that is also a casualty, perhaps, of the remote work situation that we found ourselves in. People felt disconnected from their employers. Uh, They didn't have the same interactions with colleagues that they enjoyed or that in some places led to maybe having getting the better assignments or feeling like they were valued in their current role. They didn't have those, you know, uh, serendipitous meetings in the hallways or popping into their boss's office to talk about their next career move. Uh, and so that can that has been frustrating for some people. And another stat from this is about half of half of the people surveyed did feel disconnected from their employers thanks to remote work. And that's a big factor in looking to switch to a new employer as well, looking to say, well, maybe I'll have a better shot at getting the the kind of job or be in line for that promotion if I move to a different place. And so for the employer, whether a large corporation or small business, what is the risk of what many are calling the talent flight, those people leaving? 
Well, the underlying thing about all of these numbers is that the people who are most likely to jump ship and go to a different company and a different job are often the highest performers of a company. They're the ones who see that they have a lot more opportunities. They're the ones who are you know, perhaps getting called by headhunters or recruiters saying, hey, we've got a great opportunity over here for you. They're also uh, more qualified for those high compensation jobs. So these are the people that are uh, in line in that corporate ladder and poised to move up into leadership positions if they're not there already. So these are the people that maybe have been with the company for many years and who are uh, have special training, have um, some very precise skills that uh, a company might need, especially in the technology or business workforce. There are people who are very highly skilled as they move up the corporate chain. And so if these people jump ship in large numbers, that can leave a company and an employer really scrambling to try to fill jobs uh, that require specific skills um, and a specific, you know, combination of skills at a time when there's a lot of movement going on. And that can be very jarring and disruptive to business operations. So what employers are going to have to do is look at what the preferences are for employees and what they can do to try to reignite some of the the cultural aspects of their companies that people like and that drew people to that company in the first place. And and probably a lot of one-on-one time. I mean, even though a lot of people want to continue to work remotely for part of the time, I think that there needs to be an effort to make uh, make that one-on-one connection between managers and employees uh, once, once they're able to do that in person if possible, to be able to make people feel more connected to the people that they want to be. But let me get your reaction to something that I'm sure you have heard from friends and family and colleagues, and I've heard as well, which is, I have been working from home for more than a year. I've been producing the work needed, but I haven't seen my boss. I'm worried that he or she may forget about me or that my job is on the line. That issue of job security because you're home and not in the office. How real is that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's going to continue to be a problem with the the quote-unquote hybrid workplace solutions. So if people are going into the office twice a week and staying home three days a week, maybe some people will choose to do that. Maybe other people in an office will choose to be at the office full-time and be there all five days a week. Um, There is a suggestion in this survey that a lot of people will feel uncomfortable and worried about their job security if they're the ones who are staying home part-time or all of the time and their colleagues are going in into the office uh, more often or full-time because of this, the very thing that you just mentioned, Steve. You you may not be getting the same face time as your colleagues. You may uh, get an opportunity to get a better project, or you may just be perceived as being a higher, a higher performer and therefore might be in line for raises uh, more quickly than people who are working remotely, even though people who are working remotely have actually uh, reported higher productivity than when they're in the office. So there... While this is a, a, a benefit that a lot of people want to have, the flexibility of a hybrid workplace and a hybrid uh, location solution, it will incorporate more new tensions into the workplace that we, were, we did not have to deal with uh, before le- March of last year. Kim Hart, you mentioned tensions, and I'm curious for those who have had to go to the workplace, if you're in the medical profession, if you're in retail or restaurants, 
how they view this post-pandemic economy as they look at some of their friends and colleagues who have been working from home while they essentially have been on the front lines. That is true. I think there is a little bit of frustration um, from uh, those essential workers, particularly the medical workers who have really had to put their lives on the line in order to go to work and and treat people and be exposed to COVID-19 on a daily basis and got tired of hearing uh, their friends uh, and family members who were complaining about being stuck at home and isolated. And while understanding that those can be frustrating situations to be in, it's very different than having no choice but to go to work every day and be an essential worker and putting themselves at risk at, on a daily basis. I, um, I had a baby during the pandemic, and I remember being in the hospital and the nurses kind of, kind of jokingly complaining about that to me, but knowing I could, I could tell it was a real frustration for them that you know, they were knowingly putting themselves in the line of fire, and yet their families and uh, friends were complaining about some maybe more trivial concerns about being lonely and not being able to go out to eat or uh, get their favorite cup of coffee and things like that. So yes, there is definitely a rift there too. Again, this survey conducted by Prudential, its annual Pulse of the American Worker survey, along with Morning Consult. And as you look at the numbers, is there a gender gap between men and women? Well, interestingly, the Prudential and Morning Consult survey did not touch specifically on the gender gap, but there's some interesting research from Oliver Wyman, which is also conducting an ongoing global consumer survey. And they found that people are becoming more optimistic overall about their financial and professional prospects as the pandemic progresses, which suggests that people are feeling more confident um, and uh, capable of leaving and finding a new job. However, there is a gender gap when it comes to those numbers when you drill down. Men are 1.5 times more optimistic than women about their financial well-being and 1.2 times more optimistic than women about their professional well-being, the survey found. And while that doesn't seem like a huge number, when you, when you think about it, it makes sense. Women have been um, hit the hardest when it comes to their careers, uh, thanks to the pandemic. Many women have had to drop out of the workforce altogether um, or, or, or at least consider doing that. There was a McKinsey survey that said one in four women were either considering or had already dropped out of the workforce and quit their job thanks to the pandemic because of caring for children or having to you know, prioritize other things in their lives uh, during this difficult time. And so for, for women, it's not surprising to hear that they're less confident about being able to get back into the workforce or to pick up where they left off in their careers, even if they didn't necessarily quit their job. A lot of people did have to downshift and slow down and um, you know, turn down some projects or say, I just can't do that or I'm not able to go for that promotion right now. And so there is a gender gap when you think about the, the overarching macro impact of what this pandemic has done uh, to how women are thinking about their own personal lives as well as their professional well-being. You mentioned earlier a growing sense of confidence among employees, but is there an underlying sense of nervousness among some of those workers? Absolutely. I mean, this has become our norm. This has become the, our way of life. Uh, when you think about it, after you've been doing something for a year, uh, even just a but especially more than a year, it becomes a very ingrained part of your life. It becomes uh, very habitual and changing any habit or starting a new routine can be anxiety inducing for a lot of people. And also the pandemic itself 
has created a lot of anxiety for workers across the board uh, about a variety of things, financial worries, health concerns, work anxieties. And so putting yet another change that is a little bit out of their control and how their offices are going to reopen and how their employers are going to expect them to come back to work. Sure. It's going to be, it's going to be jarring and unsettling. Um, and also for people who are not going to have the opportunity to work remotely. Uh, to your point earlier, even some people who have been working remotely in the past year are not going to have that flexibility going forward. They're going to have to face long commutes again. They're going to have to figure out how to get their kids to school, hopefully, if they open. Uh, and that also is adding another layer of stress that uh, they're going to have to figure out. And as we see traffic in the D.C. area, how different it is over the last year, and we're seeing that in major metropolitan cities around the country. That's right, and it's definitely starting to pick up here in D.C. I have definitely uh, gotten used to the short commute times and it not taking very long to zip uh, you know, from one county to the next if I'm running errands or need to pick something up. And even in the past two weeks, people are out, and it, is, it takes a lot longer, and people are going to have to. It's going to be a rude awakening when some offices start up in the next couple of months, and all of a sudden you're stuck at traffic lights, and it's taking four times as long to, get, uh, to go seven miles as it did you know, back in, in April. Before I get to my last question, let's talk about you. A mother of three, you cover technology and business for Axios.com. Kim Hart, what is your background? Um, I've been a journalist uh, and in the tech profession for about mm, 15 years. I started my career at the Washington Post covering business and technology, uh, moved into politics. I uh, ended up at Politico and then took a detour into corporate communications for a publicly traded technology company before doing a stint in the government as the press secretary to the chairman of the FCC um, under the second term of the Obama administration. And then I joined Axios uh, when we launched about four, almost four and a half years ago now. And so I've been covering technology and doing editing and reporting and various, uh, uh, various jobs at Axios since then. Where's home originally and where did you go to college? I was born in Houston, Texas, uh, grew up in South Florida, went to the University of Florida and studied journalism there. I ended up in the D.C. area because I moved up here after graduating to go to graduate school at the University of Maryland. Um, ended up getting a internship at the Washington Post and uh, somehow convinced them to hire me full time. And there I was. I haven't left since. Well, my final question is really a quote from your piece. I think it kind of summarizes the study and what we have been talking about. Quote, companies are about to get pelted by employee turnover as the pandemic ends. Elaborate on that point. So we're going to see, as the study said, one in four employees are uh, interested and planning to leave the jobs that they're in and look for a new one at a new company as the pandemic eases up. And that's a lot of people. When you think about it, a quarter of employees are interested and planning on actually jumping ship and moving to a different job. For millennials, that number is a third of employees. That's a huge amount of turnover when you think about how low turnover has been over the past year. Uh, you know, The quit rate has been historically low during the 
pandemic because people did not feel secure in quitting. They did not feel like they had uh, the the security and the safety net financially or health-wise to make that kind of a change right now. But as they've seen how things have played out over the past year, they no longer have to be tied geographically to, to their current city. Maybe they're looking to make a move. Maybe they're interested in seeing what other options and how much uh, compensation boost they can get from jumping ship, um, especially for the millennials who are in kind of their prime earning years. Uh, so when you're an employer looking at that kind of prediction, that can be extremely disruptive to their workforce and to their operations and something that they really need to pay attention to. Kim Hart, we thank you for joining us here on C-SPAN's The Weekly. Thanks for having me. And a reminder, her work is available online at Axios.com. This podcast is available wherever you get your favorite podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.